Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yes, it is Sunday. It is podcast day. As Michael Boker takes a sip of water. Hopefully you all heard that. (laughs) but yes it is sunday it is podcast day for the third week in a row a series ends on a sunday which is perfect that means that we have closure but also for the second week in a row on podcast day the yankees lose but they continue to win series this week we go four and two i went to three yankee games this week i saw both losses i went one and two so that wasn't fun but the yankees are fun and they're good Michael K, I tweeted at Michael K today. I took a video of him playing catch with a baseball. Turns out he retweeted it. I got over 5,000 views. I'm feeling good. Today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all who are fathers. We have a fun episode planned where we actually have some sort of structure to it. Hallelujah. We take your questions from our wonderful friends. And do we actually talk some football and talk some giants in this episode? Stay tuned. And you'll find out. All right, our housekeeping, follow me on Twitter at jpenix 74 Watch my video that I took of Michael K. That's gotten over 5,000 views and increasing. It's actually not that cool. I didn't really do anything. I narrated 10 seconds of Michael K throwing catch with Paul O'Neill, and Michael K was showing off like a showboat that he is. <laughs> big ego, big ego, good guy, big ego. Hates Gary Sanchez. Bothers me a little bit. It's totally fine. Bothers me a lot, actually. (laughs) Yeah, his his ego that he's gotten from being a successful talk show host has now kind of gotten into the broadcast booth uh, in the play-by-play, and that's not really um, suiting me well this season so far. But So follow me on Twitter. Take a look at that. Tell Michael K that he needs to grow up a little bit in the booth. (laughs) Follow the podcast. On SoundCloud, like the podcast, like each episode. This is our third episode. Like, listen to all three. Listen to all three. Listen to how bad we were in the beginning. And now listen to how great we are now because we're just great. So, speaking of things that are great, my friend Bokra, how are you doing today? I'm feeling, uh, feeling great. A little tired. Um, had a little too much fun yesterday, but all in all, feeling great. What are Saturdays for? Saturdays are always for the boys. You already know. All right. This podcast is very inclusive, so I would like to say Bleeding Blue thinks that Saturdays are for everybody, but 
Boker thinks that Saturdays are for the boys, and that's fine. <laughs> we will accept that. My friend Renato, how are you? I am doing swell. A little, little, little disappointed in the game today, but happy we took three out of four against Tampa Bay. Much needed, needed to take three out of four. And hopefully we could somehow win the game and a half we have coming up against the Nationals tomorrow. Yeah, that would certainly, because, I mean, if we win the game and a half, that counts as two wins. And yeah. that that would certainly make up for today's debacle. You know, you come back home. This is in the middle of a long home stretch, what's supposed to be a long home stretch. And if you win tomorrow, that's another two W's, and it just makes this whole home stretch and on the road too. A lot better. On the road, and, too. and that would be on the road. That's two. That that would be two road W's, but we're not there yet. And the loss today is a little. A little tough to swallow, especially with looking how bad and and ugly some of the swings were from yes. the offense. CC Sabathia, no, was he striking out guys with his backdoor front door slider? No, blowing them away with ninety-two mile an hour fastballs and eighty uh, mile an hour sliders. sinkers. I saw some sliders in there. I saw some there sliders. were some sliders, but I'm telling you, his swing and miss stuff with two strikes. I mean, I, I guarantee you, it's because guys were sitting on slider, but his. <laughs> his swing and miss stuff today was on sinkers and fastballs up in the zone. And I, and I was freaking out in the stadium. I'm like, blow him, blow him by him. CC light up the gun at 92. So he had 10, he gave 10 hits and struck out 10 batters today. Probably his, that's why I have I see. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. I wish he would have gotten that last out, but I mean, I, I, it was so cool. Everybody gave him a standing ovation. Just, Unfortunately, the offense couldn't get it together. Um, I think people, no matter how much I want to rag on, especially uh, cough, cough, uh, Mike Stanton, John Carlos Stanton, for not being clutch at all with runners on base this year. And there are numbers to back this up, which we will get into a little bit later. But people are, there was somebody that called into the WFAN today. I was, dri- I was driving home and they said, I'm a big fan of Brian Cashman. But what was he thinking when he got Giancarlo Stanton? And the host immediately lost it. He hung up on him. And he's like, he was the National League MVP. And you're going to sit here and say, what was he thinking? It's the freaking month of June. And even even still, Stan's still hitting 243, 16 homers, 37 RBIs. So it's not like even though he's not producing, he's still producing at above average level. I'm willing to bet any amount of money that July is Stanton's month. I'll bet I'll bet anything that he's gonna get on right before the All Star break, and it's gonna continue right up until the postseason. I'll make that bet with anybody. But but here's here's what I'd say about that. Like, do you do you not look at Stanton's numbers and the Marlins coming in? Like the guy shakes out a lot. Like he's he's Aaron Judge but elite. That's what it is? All right. So I was gonna I was gonna save this for a little while. But I guess we could talk about it now, now that we're on it. So John Carlos Stanton, this year, with runners in scoring position, he has 63 at-bats. And he has the same amount of at-bats with none on slash no outs. Okay? So they're both at 63 at-bats. He does have 17 RBIs with runners in scoring position. But his average is 206. The OBP is 299, which is not what you want. Yeah. 
The slugging percentage, listen to this. The slugging percentage is at 317, and the OPS is at 616. Ooh, those are ugly numbers. No, but then listen to his none-on slash no-outs numbers. Again, 63 at-bats. 286 average. Okay. 328 OBP, 524 slugging, 852 OPS. So that's that's much better than average numbers, especially when you look at the OPS. True. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, you're you're above 750, 800 in OPS. You're a pretty good ball player. And besides that game against the Houston Astros, where he and, hit two and runs off of Keuchel. And the opener. Don't forget the opener. And the opener. Besides those two games where he hit those multi, where he had those multi home run games and he basically carried the offense. Besides those two games, I can't really point to a moment where John Carlos had a quote unquote clutch at bat. I agree. I, 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 so I, I was, um, I was talking with my friend today who's from the Miami area. He's a Tampa Bay Rays fan. I took him to the game today. Um, so I, I'm, I am now reporting or I'm recognizing him as our Miami resident expert. Okay. One of the things that a few Yankee podcasts who are way more popular than us have been asking, most notably Talking Yanks, they've been asking, is this John Carlos Stanton's norm? Is this like him? Because we usually see on whatever sports center, whatever kind of highlights that we see on social media, that he's just hitting home runs, you know, in deep shots and the exit velo is insane and this guy is big and he's doing this and he's doing that, whatever, whatever, down in Miami and it doesn't really matter. But now that he's actually on our team, we're like, is this actually what John Carlos Stanton is? And he said, apparently, yes, this is what he is. He's going to have his stretches of good. He's going to have his stretches of bad, duh, much like any kind of major league ball player. But before last year, before John Carlo went off and he had his 59 home run year and he hit 17,000 home runs in the month of July and August, before that, this is the type of ball player he is and this is what we're getting. So... Yankee fans, strap in, buckle up, because this just may be the John Carlos Stanton that we get, or be optimistic and listen to Boker. Can I make an argument? Yes. Okay. So keep in mind, Giancarlo Stanton was on the Marlins, right? Right. Who do they have on that team that's even close to this lineup right now? Right, and and, and we've and we've talked about that, how – you can either, I don't, I, you know, in the, in the argument, I can kind of see it going both ways where John Carlo would either get better pitches to hit because there would be nobody on base and you're just trying to get somebody out, or he wouldn't get good pitches to hit at all because they're just trying to pitch around him. I, I can see the right. argument going both ways. Right, right. But now, I mean, I, I, I guess, I mean, the, the weakness of, I, I was calling, I was calling it from the stance today, you know. Multiple at bats. He had two at bats where it was the low and outside pitch, whether it was whether it was a, literally like a fastball or it was an off speed. Where I'm just like, okay, I'm calling it now. It's a low and outside off speed pitch, and that's what's going to get the Rays out of the inning. And lo and behold, it's almost like you know, well, it's almost like I watch this team every day. And lo and behold, that's what has gotten the Rays out of trouble all day on Old Timers Day. You know why I'm optimistic, though? Why? 
It reminds me a lot of Judge's struggles last year. Okay. And once it came to August, September, and October, that's where you start seeing the production increase. And I think with Giancarlo, it's gonna happen as well. All right. So that was a so that was a that was a cool open that we had. So what we're going to do to get some sort of structure for our podcast is we are introducing I guess our first segment Renato's top five Yankee moments of the week and at number five Johnny Lasagna's major league debut five shutout innings against the Tampa Bay Rays I mean this guy was just unbelievable Five innings, swing and misses with a fastball, slider changeup. I mean, we heard this kid through strikes, so even though he had a couple walks, but this guy, he had a lot of strikeouts against the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, so Katie Sharp, again, at KT Sharp on Twitter, pretty much the queen of Yankees stats, okay? Jonathan Lasagna. She did not say Jonathan Lasagna. We will. We refuse to say Jonathan Lasagna's real last name on this podcast, and this will be a little debate that we'll have right after we talk about how impressive he was in his debut. Jonathan Lasagna is the first Yankee pitcher to allow zero earned runs and have at least six strikeouts in his MLB debut. Good stuff. Sure. Johnny Lasagna has four walks and 3.2 MLB innings so far. He had four walks and 45 minor leagues innings combined this season. So this leads me to ask the question, can this get better? Can he only get better? Since the only thing that we really knew coming out of double A is that the kid throws strikes. He kind of had a little trouble throwing strikes. He wasn't missing really. He Now, from what I saw, he really wasn't missing outside or he really wasn't wild it, you know it was he was nibbling the corner and there and you can make right. an argument that yep. he was getting robbed in some calls yep yep tomato tomato every umpire is different every game's different but can you argue that he can only get better since he had so many walks and he was nibbling to kind of begin his major league career right and i i believe since it was a first star i think maybe the nerves a little there in the game, but I from what this the stuff that I saw, and you know me, I like looking at picture stuff. I, I love looking at all these pictures. There's I'm team prospects hugger always. Um, this guy has electric stuff. I don't know if it's gonna be good for a starter, but I think this guy would be a very good MLB player in his career. I really do. I'm gonna also agree with um, Renato here about. Obviously, I do believe Johnny Lasagna will be, get better. First major league game, who, who who's not going to be nervous in their first major league game, especially when you're coming up from double A? And at the beginning of the season, who would have thought that he was getting the call to come up to the major leagues? He didn't even think he was going to get the call. His first guy that he faced, he walked, he walked him. It, it, it's his nerves. He's going to get better. He has great stuff. He's going to be great. He's going to be fine. Just let him develop. Let him take his time. He'll be fine. He will get better. Yeah, the fastball was 
electric, absolutely electric. And, and this off-speed stuff, it, it, it did kind of, kind of did remind me of Charlie Morton. You know, kind of like uh, they just they just mentioned this on Talking Yanks. Kind of like that. Whenever I hear the whenever I hear a phrase "wiffle ball" associated with a pitcher and his off-speed movement. I, I think Charlie Morton, that's what that's kind of like what my brain goes to, especially after watching him pitch and how dangerous his stuff can be. Um and if that's and if that's what's coming out of people's mouths, and if that's the adjectives that are describing Johnny Lasagna's first start, you know, regardless of if you look at results or regardless of the team that they're pitching against, which I which hey. I would rather have Johnny Lasagna and a 23-year-old kid coming up from Double A coming up against the Tampa Bay Rays as opposed to, let's just say, Tanaka goes down and then we have to call this guy up, you know, come June 29th, June 30th against the Boston Red Sox. I would much rather have this where he maybe gets a start or two before we get to the dog days of July and games start to get a little bit more important, more hyphened. So really, if anything, you can argue that this kind of happened in perfect timing and Johnny Lasagna looked good. That's all I got to say. I'm very interested to see his next start against Seattle. Wednesday night gets King Felix. It's going to be a very, very interesting start for them if he could be able to manage that lineup if they have a very deep lineup. No Robbie Cano. No Robbie Cano. Rest in peace. <laughs> all right. So are we So are we good? We good from Johnny Lasagna? Yeah, we're good from Johnny Lasagna. It was a Friday night lasagna in the Bronx. I had a little lasagna to myself. A little, a little, just a little, like, eating. Well, it's, it's you have to. I think I honestly think Yankees, Yankees fans, Yankees Twitter. We have to start like a movement of where every time Johnny Lasagna pitches, we have to eat. We have to like eat lasagna. That's something just that we just have to do. <laughs> all solidarity with each other. All good omen. Right, voodoo going towards his way, going towards that right arm. Oh, so no, 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 we are nowhere near done talking with Johnny Lasagna. We'll be quick on this, but there's been a whole thing on Yankees Twitter about how Johnny Lasagna, which I will, I kind of want to report this. This podcast was released shortly before Talking Yanks was last week, and we were the first ones to say. Johnny Lasagna. I want to report that, even though it really doesn't matter since we have like 10 listeners. Oh, interesting. But Yankees Twitter was like, part, some people in Yankees Twitter losing their minds that Johnny Lasagna is an offensive nickname just because small minded, uncultured people like myself can't actually say his real name and actually refuse to say his real name. So, what do we think? I I love I love Johnny Lasagna. <laughs> I, I I mean like, who are you, what's cool? Like Johnny Lasagna or Johnny Loizaga? Whatever. You don't. You can't. No, don't say his real name. I I said his name. I said his name. It's actually I actually do know the correct pronunciation. This is the only time I'm saying it. This is the last time I will say it. It is Loizaga. See what what sounds cool? Lasagna. Lasagna. It isn't like a like part of baseball. Like just getting a nickname and right. like a cool nick. Like, isn't this like part of what frustrated me with like Players Weekend last year is that guys were just giving themselves nicknames. 
Who called? First of all, who calls Aaron Judge all rise? That's a <laughs> command. That's a command. It is not a nickname. <laughs> Chase Headley was wearing head head on the back of his jersey, borderline inappropriate. Okay, borderline like PG PG thirteen right there. Head number twelve. Head. Uh, what? Who? What even was Jacoby Ellsbury's nickname? What even was on the back of that, is that jersey? Guy still alive? I haven't heard anything about that guy. Who who? Is that guy? who? who? Yeah, who? Heard Nick Swisher was a better outfielder and more and better and in better shape to play than he was. Wait, which outside? I missed it. Which outfielder? Nick Swisher. Oh my god, Nick Swisher. <laughs> Swisher hit a hit a second deck home run today. Oh, no. old timers day. Swisher's gonna swish. He's probably smiling as you on the bases. In. Oh my God! You you have to you have to watch yeah, the yeah. reaction videos. If if you if anybody who's listening to this, regardless if you're a baseball fan or not, that Nick Swisher was such a character when he played oh, uh, a few years ago. Like he was on the 2009 World Series championship team, and he was on a few few years after that too. Such a character. You know, you want to talk about a locker room guy. This is this is the <laughs> definition yeah. Yeah. of a locker room guy who's just charismatic and. He would always, and I and I never really knew this, um, but he would sit in the dugout every single year that he was on the Yankees during Old Timers Day. He would just sit in the dugout and just relish the moment. I, you know, because obviously at that at that point you had, you know, all these great Yankee players, and you still have great Yankee players that come to Old Timers Day every single year, and you just relish the moment as a player of the Yankees to be in that kind of like atmosphere, whether if it's just for you know, 45 minutes to an hour, however long that they play the game. And then now that he's actually a player and important enough in Yankees history to be considered an old timer and be invited to be, have an old, be a part of old timers day. And then to hit that home run, that must've felt incredible. And it, and it did. So watch, so watch that reaction of his reaction to the whole clip. You can find it pretty, pretty easily and pretty accessible. So Johnny lasagna is not an offensive nickname. We've addressed that. Great. Everybody get over yourselves. Nicknames are awesome in sports. Nicknames are awesome in baseball. All right. We're moving on to number four. Number four, Luis. Yes. Severino. With, and again, the Yankee, Yankee pitchers are shutting out the Rays. Eight shutout innings. Yes, you heard that right. Eight shutout innings. Should not be a surprise, Yankee fans out there. All right. Six of his nine strikeouts, believe it or not, 99 miles an hour plus on the fastball. I mean, his, this guy freaking has 9,900 mile an hour fastball like it's nothing. So he just he just does what he does. He, he bullies the Rays. Didn't have quite his best stuff, but he bullied the Rays. And he just made this a no breather. Until, of course, our homeboy, Chase Street, came in and almost blew the game, but that's a whole other story for another day. Hmm. Yeah, so the bully in the Bronx got the ball, and he did bully things. Bully. He's my, my favorite bully of them all. Mm. That's a close second between him and Chapman, though, even though Chapman's a closer. but Ch- Chapman, it's just mm-hmm. like, what are you going to do about it? Like, just hit, hit my fastball, I dare you. It's never really bully. bully. So it's just like, nah, I'm throwing you fastball, 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 fastball. Go, go. So, like, Chapman, Chapman is like... A, a western cowboy yes that's just stare he literally stares you down and he dares you to do anything 
and then Sevy's just a bully. Yep. Schoolyard bully. Walk, I'm gonna step on you and then walk all over you. Okay, I, I like that. I like that. I like that. Do we do we like so we have Western Cowboy Chapman? Right. Sevy, the schoolyard bully. Yep. 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 100 percent agree. I'll agree with that. I'll agree. Yeah. All right. You stole my stat. Of Sevy, six of nine, six of <laughs> like really think. I mean, think about that. Six of his nine strikeouts, ninety nine, miles an hour plus. That's insane. <laughs> the velocity, the velocity which he was hitting at, especially since his slider was kind of inconsistent early, and that's why he's he said this so often this year that he's really, really, really trying to work on that changeup because he do, just doesn't want to be a two pitch pitcher, right. Because, I mean, the fast the fastball. First of all, the fastball is just unhittable. Unhittable. So that's first. But you know, you do want to be a diverse pitcher. You want to be a pitcher that can throw more than one pitch, two pitches, and he really wants to work that changeup in there if the slider isn't working. But the fact that he can still and I, and I've said this leaving games or after watching Sevy pitch for all all year now, even when the stuff, even when on quote unquote. Our friend Sonny Gray, he, you know, he started with this quote. Even when a uh, quote unquote the stuff isn't there, Sevy can still work around and not just get you five innings, six innings, and then a W. He can get you seven innings plus and give the bullpen a rest, which is huge. So the bullpen did have a rest until our friend Chase and Shreve uh blew everything up and can't stand Chapman that. had to come in. For the save, Chapman says thanks. I'll take the save. I'll take the stats. Gets me one save closer. Gets me one save closer to an all-star appearance and a bonus on my contract. Believe it or not, he only has 20 saves on the year. He's he's up there. He's up there in the American League. I think he's up there in the, in the major leagues. Yeah. No, there, there are some really good closers in the national. I mean, there's good closers everywhere, but there are some really good closers in the national league. Let's hope, let's, hope let's hope we don't see that Edwin Diaz from Seattle because he's having an we're gonna We might see him. I hope. Well, let's hope that we don't have to. Let's hope that we just for 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 one time besides this weekend against the Rays, if we can maybe have like a I don't know, like a three four run lead against the team that isn't named the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, that would be great. Okay. All right. So Luis Severino, schoolyard bully. Struts around the mound after he strikes you out. Puts the gold chain away after it comes flying out after throwing a ball 101 miles an hour. Number three on Renato's top five moments and of the Yankee is, week. This, this is glibber good. A game-winning three... Well, the game wasn't all that at this point, obviously, but three-run home run in the bottom of the six off... Uh, Blake Schnell, who had a really impressive outing up until that point, and then Glibber just does what Glibber does. Glibber good hits another homer. This guy, since him and Miguel Andujar has come up, they've just been incredible. The Yankees are thirty six and twelve since they've called both of them up to major leagues, and they've both been been creating the big hits, especially Glibber. He's been doing it offensively, defensively, and another clutch hit. On Thursday, he gets the race to get us a nice 4-2 victory. Yeah, Glibber's currently hitting at a, well, before today, 
his game. He was hitting over a 900 OPS, but now it's down to 891. He's slacking. Slacking. Slacking, slacking, slacking. But really, uh, he's up there with our buddy Aaron Judge, who's, I mean, if you look at the OPS numbers, and if there are a lot of more people who are looking at OPS right now in terms of overall production in a lineup, mm-hmm. and Aaron Judge is absolutely having a fantastic year. He is up there with Mike Trout, even though Mike Trout is having uh, an amazing season, but neither here nor there. We're talking about Glibber. The OPS and the production that he's had in the short amount of time that he's been here, and he's actually been up here for 48 games, believe it or not. And really what really drives that OPS and what drives that number is not only, you know, obviously it's just, you know, it's not just the power and the fact that in 48 games he has 13 bombs and just 48 games he has 13 bombs. But the fact that the bombs that he's hitting and the home runs that he's hitting, they're producing. They're producing runs, and it's not just solo shots, cough, cough, John Carlos Stanton. They're runs that mean something. He's He has a knack for the three-run home run right now. Renato also mentioned our friend Get Miggy with it, the do can do, Miguel Andujar. They were batting in the eight and nine hole yesterday, and John Sterling on the radio, he, he apologized. He said sorry, you know, because basically – the past few weeks, those two guys have been our best hitters. You know, obviously, Didi has come to form, and hopefully we can maybe get some of that April Didi Gregorius back. But eight and nine hole hitters yesterday, you can argue that those are our two best hitters in the lineup right now. John Sterling said he was sorry, and I honestly don't blame him. But Susan Waldman responded, and because Susan Waldman does no remorse for the week. Susan Waldman said, don't be sorry. She has no guilt. Dang. No guilt. Dan, Susan, come on. What are you up to? But I, I so I, I thought that was a funny moment. I find you could find at least four to five funny moments per game when you listen to John Sterling and Susan Waldman. They're they're hilarious. Eh, debatable. They're no, they're hilarious. They're hilarious. I'm not saying that they're <laughs> Emmy nominated worthy play by play. I think right? we do a better job than both yeah. of them. Well, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they're entertaining. They're funny, okay? <laughs> Especially when it starts to rain. John Sterling never knows. <laughs> this is raining. I was like, John, it's freaking pouring. We'll play that, we'll play that audio clip at, at one point or another. <gasps> All right, so we're moving. We're moving. Glibber, good. Like a good Glibber, Torres is there. Number two. The back-to-back yesterday of Giancarlo Mike Stanton, as Jess likes to point out. And finally, the Sanchez, the Shanchino, El Gatti, back-to-back. Bully, bully. And the Yankees take a 4 nothing lead. El Gary, man. El Gary. I mean, I'm, hope- I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that hopefully he's – Broken out of this slump because the Yankees need him so badly to produce. So badly. All right. So I have like some crazy, crazy numbers on Gary Sanchez. Let's hear them. I love love, love me some stats. Okay. Gary Sanchez. From 2015 to 2017, from the moment he was called up to the moment last season ended. His batting average on balls in play was a 307. Okay. 
The league average is around 294. It's above average, okay. This year, I want you to guess. Or no, I want Boker to guess. I want Boker to guess. What is Gary Sanchez's batting average on balls in play this year? The league average is 294. I'm going to say around the 320 mark. Wow. Can I guess? Can I guess? Yes. I'm going to say like 205. You got one more guess. Oh. Boker. Wait a minute. I completely read that that wrong. That's why. Um, hmm. I'll go to 218. 197. Wow. That was close. That was close. That 197 mark on batting average, balls in play, would be the lowest of any qualified Yankees hitter in the last century. <laughs> okay? So oh, my God. In Major League Baseball this year, there have been 232 players who have hit at least 50 fly balls and line drives this year. And on those balls, Gary Sanchez has been elite on putting balls in the air. Baseballs. He has a 98.7 mile prior exit velocity, which ranks fourth behind Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Mike Stanton, J.D. Martinez. On those non-homer batted balls in play, he has a .412 batting average balls in play, yeah. a little above the league average 398. So, so what you're telling me is he's getting unlucky big time. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, you, I mean, definitely, you, definitely, there is an unlucky factor. Okay. I was gonna say there are some cases where he does get unlucky, but it's not every every time he's up at bat, it's just unlucky. But there are a few exceptions. You know, like uh, I mean, I think obviously the most notable one because the most it's the most recent is that double play, the end the the Subway Series. With Todd Frazier doubling up Greg Bird at first base, I mean he, I, I was the article that I'm getting this information from said that, that that I don't know how they can calculate this, but that ball that El Gary hit that Todd Frazier caught and then later got Greg Bird, they doubled him up at first base. It had a 61 percent probability of being a, a base hit and it being a hit down the line probably for a double. So 61 percent, and I guess whatever the. 30, you know, with the 39 percent chance that it was an out. So that's a meaningless. I think that's a meaningless stat. Meanwhile, but meanwhile, there have been 199 players with at least 50 ground balls. On those, Sanchez has been mediocre, and I think the mediocre is a nice kind of nice way of putting it. His exit velocity is 84.5 miles per hour, Ooh. which is 137th or lower than about two-thirds of players, including noted non-sluggers like Ian Desmond. Dang. His batting average balls in play on grounders is what? And I'll let both of you guess. Boker, you start. Mm. His batting average on balls in play on grounders. You know, I'm going to guess? Yeah, you, you guess first. I'm going to say like point. Point oh, wait, do I mean point .08. I'll go at, uh, <laughs> 0.82. <laughs> All right, we're going to try this again without anyone looking at the document. <laughs> the book was cheating. You cheated first. I, no, I did it. 
I saw your mouse go down. I saw your mouse go down. Oh my god, you cheaters! All right, I'm leaving that on. Okay, I'm leaving that on. The people can see that you cheat. All right, so don't you mean here we cheat? All right, Mr. Grammar, please. <laughs> Gary Sanchez's batting average on balls in play is .082, which is 199th, and yes, that is the worst in baseball. He has put 61 grounders in play and has hits on just five of them. Actually, scratch that. It's actually six. I was saying to my friend today, I was saying Gary Sanchez is one of the best in Major League Baseball when he puts the ball in the air. I said he is the worst he is the worst player in baseball right now when he puts the ball on the ground. So first at bat today, what does Gary Sanchez do? Fly ball? No. Puts the ball on the ground. Puts the ball on the ground, and what is it? It's an out. No, it was a single. Oh, it was. Wow. (laughs) So I looked really smart. I was like, Gary Sanchez is terrible when he puts the ball on the ground. He needs to focus on getting the ball in the air because that's what he's been doing the past couple days. He's actually been getting the ball in the air, and he's not so focused on pulling the ball. His home run was to deep center field. It was kind of more, a little bit more in right right center field. Maybe the wind took it out, but he just took the ball to center field and watched it fly. The double that he hit a couple nights ago to get three runners home, it, it was a basis-clearing double, really helped us in that game. It was towards right field. He didn't. He, he doesn't have to pull the ball. I honestly do feel that with the sluggers, like, honestly... Glaber Torres, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Didi Gregorius, all these guys that like to pull the ball, typically, typically, that he feels he needs to slug it out with them, you know, in this in this lineup, he really doesn't need to. He's arguably probably the best header on this team. He does not need to pull everything. His amazing ability, and we've talked about it, this ability that Miguel Andujar also has as well, the ability of the swing to stay through the strike zone for as long as it does, it's unlike really anybody on this team besides Miguel Andujar. So Gary Sanchez, we see he's pretty bad when he puts the ball on the ground. He's good when he puts the ball in the air, okay? All right, and then there's, then there's also a thing about average exit velocity. Um, so you, you can kind of make that argument of, oh, even though he's putting the ball in the air, the exit velo is down. That is not true. You fools, you haters of Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez's average exit velocity is on par, and his hard hit rate is on par to what it usually is, to what the normal rate for him is. It is on par. It is the same. So all you Gary Sanchez haters, shut up. He's getting a little unlucky, and he's got to adjust some things in the swing. Yep. Can't be pull, can't be pulling the ball all day because if you pull the ball, he's putting them on the ground all day. Right, I agree. Gary Sanchez is elite when he uses the right right field. You saw that in the, in the, in the bases clearing double the other day. Yep. Two strikes. What does what does he do? Goes up to field. Would you win? Really Sit back. He's dangerous when he uses the whole field, and he he needs to stop be like like Stanton. Even a little bit of jet, but not as much. But stop pulling the ball, guys. You have those short porch in right field. Stop pulling the ball. Yeah, Stanton relies on his bat on his bat speed. Right. You know, kind of like you know, you you know, whenever you see Clint Frazier up for the for the forty eight hours that he's up, 
everybody always just talks about his bat speed. And Stanton's kind of like the same way. You know, he relies on that bat speed. He relies on that quick little flick of the wrist action that he has. It's so weird. He's, I say this every single game I watch and every single game I see. He is so weird when he swings the bat, which is also partially why I don't like him. If he honestly had Aaron Judge's stance, I probably wouldn't hate him as less. And I think, and I think another podcast made this point. And I'm like, you know, you want to know what? You're right. Because he's just so weird. And the way that he goes about his baseball business is just so, so weird. And it bothers me. It's okay. You forgive him. Oh, I had a, I'm doing, we're doing this quick. And then we're moving on to our number one moment, Yankee moment of the week. Okay. So Giancarlo Stanton. Ready for this metaphor? Yeah. We stole a Lamborghini from Miami. <laughs> we stole a Lamborghini. And we have basically have gotten the performance and the luxury of a Dodge Challenger. Ooh, okay. I like that. I like that. Not a Toyota Camry. That's a Dodge Challenger. Not, a, not, a, not like a 1983 Honda Accord, okay? We've gotten a Dodge Challenger. But okay, we, but we're, ex- but we're, ex- no, but we're expecting a Lamborghini. Uh, I was expecting Lamborghinis. Oh, I was. Guy who had fifty nine home runs and one MVP. You're not expecting a Lamborghini. Oh yeah. I was. I wasn't. I said it last podcast. I said. <laughs> I said. La- I said last podcast. I said, uh, or was it two podcasts ago? When I said he's go- he was going to be in a slump. And coming off that National League MVP, he was going to be have a down year. I said that. So I wasn't expecting a Lamborghini. Was I expecting better than a Dodge Challenger? Um, yeah, I was. I'll be honest. But I wasn't expecting the same exact National League MVP that he was, gonna, that he was last year coming to the Bronx. I wasn't expecting that. All right, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Our number one, Renato's number one Yankee moment of the week goes to drumroll. Gregorius. Oh, 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 oh. Didi Gregorius. Sir Didi in the north. The king of the north. King of the north. Two home runs against the Nationals. The last time CC Sabathia started. Two big, big flies. Against the Nationals, got to win. I mean, it's just Didi being Didi. And I think that game broke him out of the slump because now he's starting to hit really well. I mean, hopefully, like you were saying before, we get back to the old Didi offensively. And, you know, we we could have another top of the order lineup be, be great again. 19 for 58. 10 runs, three homers, four walks since May 28th. And that is not including today's game. Because this article was published this morning. But regardless, it seems like we are getting right now. I mean, obviously we're I mean, we're 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 pretty we're pretty far into June, believe it or not. But seems like we're getting the the April DD Gregorius back. I really don't want to say that we're getting the April DD Gregorius back because I feel like that'll diminish the type of month that he had. I mean that month. month <laughs> that month was just so unreal to say, oh, we're getting the April D.D. Gregorius back. He's not He's not hitting 10 home runs, but 
the type of player. And I, I, I just simply think that we're getting DD back. Like we're not getting the April one get back. We're not we're waiting added. for the May one to come back. We're getting the DD that we know and love back. Right. Before we go to the next tab, I want to make an honorable mention. Right? Just one honorable mention. Oh, I love this. And that goes to, besides Shasha Shreve, the entire Yankee bullpen because they have been lights out for the past two weeks. All right. That has been for this bullpen. We, we might lose a lot of these games. So I want to thank you, Chad Green. I want to thank you, Del Batances. I want to thank you, Old Chapman. I want to thank you, uh, D Rob, for doing your stuff. Yeah, and it's not just the bullpen, but for the month of June. That is true. I agree. Yankees are leading the league in ERA. Yeah. Both both pitching. And it's by a a long shot. Yeah. Yankees are sitting at a 1.97 ERA in the month of June. (laughs) Second place, 2.75, the Chicago Cubs, and then then the – the Boston Red Sox were in third with the 2.80 array. Wow. So, yeah, the, the whole pitching staff has stepped up the notches. All right, so one of the losses, this was actually a game that we were all at. Oh, man, no, I don't want to talk about this. We're going we're gonna to talk about it for a few minutes, a few oh. minutes. All right, so uh, Chase and Shreve. Oh, my God, do we have to talk about What do we you? want? All right, no, here, here, we're going to have a little, we're going to have a little riot session. What do we want? Shreve uh, gone. Shreve gone. When do we want it? Now. So especially after yesterday when he came in and the Yankees basically pitched a shutout and then he comes in and gives up the solo home run. And then I believe they kept him in and then he got a triple. Someone got a triple off of him. And – that, that was that was it. Every I could assume that I hit my breaking point with him. Justin hit breaking point and Renato too. My breaking point was already reached with him well before that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Justin's breaking point was during the uh, the national game. That was that that decision no. boom to go. It honestly was before it because they bring him in for lefty lefty lefties when he doesn't throw well against lefties. I agree. I agree. It's going right. back to the old Joe Girardi mantra of going lefty-lefty, and Shreve is not good against anybody. Wait. So, my thing is, uh, that national game, why are we bringing him in when the game is tied to verse a lefty because he's a great lefty specialist. I mean, come on. The guy's great against lefties. We bring him in in the tie game to face a lefty, which he's not good at, and he gives up the soul. Why? Why are you bringing him in in that game? What? Why? Like, like there, there was five out of six lefties, right? But I think after after we dealt with Batons is going two innings and Chad Green two innings and each of them failing every time they go two innings. I think we should have. But the flags, hello, flag, do not go more than two innings. Or one inning, I mean. But what? the thing that pissed me off a lot was the fact that D-Rob was available in the bullpen and they did not use him in the second inning. D-Rob, D-Rob was available. and They used also, him in the eighth innings. They could use him in the seventh. 
I, I'm also going to make the argument that all of them were available, but more specifically, Jonathan Holder was available. Why are why do we not bring in Jonathan Holder in that situation? I understand he's a right-handed pitcher, but I would have been more comfortable having Holder come in versus the, the lefty that Shreve was supposed to was facing. Yeah, I think game one inning Shreve is lucky enough. So I think you think you one inning and you call it a day. Yeah, um, I mean, I could see the argument if they're was some kind of argument of, okay, we want to save the big arms in the bullpen because the next two days where we have Domingo Herman, who we're still kind of feeling out a little bit, but I think we're pretty confident with Herman, but still he's a young pitcher. You got to have the big arms ready in the bullpen. And then obviously the next day with Johnny Lasagna making his major league debut, you obviously want to have as many arms in the bullpen ready as possible. So I could see that argument if Aaron Boone says, all right, we're going to try to stretch Chase and Shreve here. But if you were warming up Jonathan Holder and you're warming up David Robertson and you're planning on bringing them in anyway and you're already, quote-unquote, taxing them by having the warm-up pitches in the bullpen, then why are you keeping Chase and Shreve in for a second inning against lefties when he's not a lefty-lefty specials, when he's not even – I mean, he has actually somewhat admirable numbers against righties. Like I said – to me, chasing street experiment done. Gonzo, bye. Don't let the door hit you. Anyway. No, but, but you are, but you already know that the Yankees are like in love with this guy. They're not going to get rid of him. They're gonna, I'm, t- I'm calling him right now. In in a couple weeks at most, chasing street will be DFA'd, and guess who's coming back? Tommy Kaling will come back in this bullpen and will light up the team once again, like he did back in the postseason last year. I think that's right. what I think that's what they're gonna honestly wait for. I think they have to wait for it at that at, the, at this point. Heck, we might see Kenley come up soon at their Cole's appearance tomorrow. Might. Yeah, they may they may switch him. Yeah, could be. I can't I can't stand Shreve, man. I oh, the guy bothers me so much. I, I mean, he, he was. I mean, honestly, at, at one point, and I sometimes feel like this was an absolute eternity ago in the month of April. Like, I was like, and a lot of Yankee fans, we were like, is Jason Shreve, like, one of the most consistent relievers on our team? And we were I remember le- that. We were legitimately asking ourselves this question. That. Well, unfortunately, Jason, we're not in the month of April, and we're now in the month of June, and the guy absolutely sucks. So. Yeah. All right. So we're done with Jason Shreve. The bullpen is great, regardless. Better, Adam better Warren be by, by this next podcast. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, Adam Warren. I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy that he's looked pretty good. I think he's a really important piece of this bullpen. Yes, because he's really, the one guy, and maybe even Green either that could go multiple innings. Yeah, and Green Green has kind of been iffy on multiple. All of really, to be honest, all of them have been iffy on going multiple innings right. this year, like especially our friend Dylan Batansis. Because he just actually at this point he just cannot go more than one inning, no. and Adam Warren is really like our guy. Our if you want to put like a quote unquote long relief guy, he's the guy as of right now. Because I really don't think AJ Cole's staying on this roster after tomorrow. I I I I 100% agree with you, and I'm hoping we get Kaylin back for this bullpen. Absolutely, put Kaylin. With Green, Robertson, Batanza, the Chapman. Whoo! Good luck. 
Good yeah, one. so then hopefully a problem like we ran into against the Nationals a couple days ago doesn't happen so often when we have yeah, so we, Tommy Canley back. Uh, yep. Since we're playing the Nationals, we better not see Shreve tomorrow because I'll be very disappointed to see Shreve tomorrow. I, I, I don't think we will. I think I'll cry if we see Shreve, but I, I don't think we will. I agree with Justin. All right. All right, so now we're moving on. I kind of had like an idea today on the train going home from New York Penn Station. I was like, let's do this. Let's see if this will work. Let's see if people will respond. So on all my social media things, including Twitter at jpenic 74 <laughs> and Instagram at jpenic 88 Give me a follow too on Instagram. I like followers on Instagram. I like likes on my pictures. Likes. I like likes. Uh, I like I like likes. that. And I, and I like that. Yeah, exactly. I like that. <laughs> okay. So I asked, I said, hey, we're recording tonight. Sundays are the days that we record. You have any questions about the Giants and the Yankees? Hit me up. Ask me. We'll answer them on the podcast. Well, here we go. And I said we'll give shout-outs too. So my friend Joe is the first question, and I really do think that he was trying to fool me on this question because I said if anybody has any questions of the Giants, of the Giants and the Yankees, and he was really trying to fool me. And his question was, what is the highest scoring game between those two teams? Giants being a football team and Yankees being a baseball team. Well, Joe, you sure. couldn't fool me because the 1936 World Series, game two, October 2nd, the New York Yankees beat the New York Giants 18-4. to <laughs> They're combined for 22 runs. Yes. So at least in the research that I did in trying to answer this question for you, (laughs) that is the highest scoring game between those two teams when they have played each other. Very interesting. That's probably in the the game of fair. All right. So, Joe, thank you for the question. Thank you for listening. Joe's a good guy. He goes to St. Joe's with me. Another guy that goes to St. Joe's with me went to St. Peter's Prep with Connor, too. Okay. So Connor's got the next question. And this is kind of something that we touched on last week, and I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to this question. Who do you think is the Yankees' most likely trade deadline target, and what prospects do you think are most likely to be moved? Note, before that we answer this question. This will be the last time that we are talking trade deadline until the middle of July. I am done talking trade deadline. I'm done that's, talking that's trades. We have – all right, yeah. What do we need to acquire at the, at the deadline? We need to acquire starting pitching, right? Yeah. We have a, what, a, what a 1.97 ERA in the month of June, and it's been 17 days. So I, I'm, I'm okay right now on the pitching. We're doing all right. We're doing fine. I um, agree with you. We're gonna, but we're gonna answer this question. We'll acknowledge the trade deadline stuff one more time. But I also, I really kind of want to touch upon since we didn't really touch upon this last week. Who do we think will be moved? And Renato is the prospect hugger out of all. I want to hear. I want to hear who he's willing to let go and who's he has to hold on to for dear life. Wait, I think I already know the answer to this. Renato's gonna say anybody and everybody just so we could get Degrom. Am I? Am I right? Well, I was gonna ask you: Am I gonna be a realistic trade here? We talk about optimistic trade. All right, we all right. So, g- give me your fantasy, 
fantasy here and then give me your reality. Okay. Right. G- give us give us your fantasy and make sure that you preface that it's your fantasy. Okay, this is my fantasy, all right? Jacob DeGrom to the Yankees. Okay. For Miguel Andujar, Justice Sheffield, Clint Frazier, and Esteval Floria. Okay, that's the trade I would do for Jacob DeGrom. Okay. For a realistic trade, okay. I'm thinking, I know you, you guys are not going to like this answer, but I think he's going to get Cole Hamels. I, I, I think they've been looking at him for a long time now. I think now that he's a little bit past his prime, I think this is an ideal spot for Cole Hamels to come to the Yankees. And I think the package that we'll get for Cole Hamels would not include any of those four guys I just mentioned, believe it or not. They would not include any of them. I think the highest guy that might get for Cole Hamels might be a Chance Adams type of guy. Right? Chance Adams. Maybe if you're lucky, maybe an Esteban Florial, maybe. But That's bold. I, but I'm telling you, Cole Hamels will not get a lot of value and because he has not pitched that well this year, if you look at his numbers. not hasn't been ideal this year. I think the postseason experience will manifest itself for a semi-decent trade for him. But knowing the Yankees, I don't think there'll be any of those guys. I think there's someone they have in the back of their minds that they're not going to say who it is. I was also going to agree about Cole Hamels at being re- being realistic because I think the Grom is going to be too much of an asking price. The same thing well, with Bumgarner. Well, because the Mets are stupid, but that's another point. Well, yeah. Well, we talked about that last. How like the Mets just want to like take anything and everything from the Yankees, right. or it's no no deal. We already talked about that. But being realistic, I feel like it's going to be Cole Hamels. Originally, I was going to go with uh, Jay Happ from the Blue Jays, but then thinking about it. Yes, the Blue Jays will be getting prospects from the Yankees that are major league ready or very close to being major league ready. But are the Blue Jays really going to risk giving up one of their good pitchers on the staff to the trading them to the Yankees where the Yankees are potentially one good starter away from a World Series? No. I yeah. No. That's why I'm leaning more towards Cole Hamels. But like you just said, Renato, I feel like the Yankees do have somebody in the back of their mind that is not coming out yet. And we're going to wait until, you know, July when the trade deadline is approaching. And you're going to – I would I wouldn't be surprised if we see some different names on the list of the Yankees that they're going to target. I don't know if he gives him a from last year, but Sonny Gray was a, like a literally last day and a half type guy, and then yeah. he came yes. in right after that. So exactly. So don't be surprised if you see some new names pop up here and there. But looking at Cole Hamels' stats this year, okay, kind of like like some stats. He's three and six, so three point six nine. Okay, the win win loss work is not good, but. Stats, I mean, 85 and the third innings, 85 Ks, 33 walks, so high in the walks. 18 homers given up, a lot of homers. But yeah, I think yeah, if you're if you're below a, a four ERA in that Texas in that Texas ballpark, I, right, I think you're right. I think you're pretty all right. That's, that's what I'm saying. He, he playing in the Texas ballpark gives a lot of homers with the heat there. We've seen that in the Texas Rangers series, that a lot of home runs go up there. But I think he does well against the good teams. I, I, he, he did well against the Dodgers. He did well against the Astros, the Angels. And I think this guy is ready for postseason ball again. I think you need to get out of Texas and come to New York. All right, so let's, so let's get to this part of the question. What prospects do you think are most likely to be moved? 
in general? Mm. Uh, well, mm. uh, us, well, I'm obviously, I think obviously specifically on the Yankees or even what prospects do you think are most likely to be moved or what prospects are you maybe are untouchable or are you not even thinking about trading? Obviously, I think if it's it's Glaber and Andujar, but if, is there anybody else that's on your radar that's absolutely untouchable right now? For me, uh, the one guy who I like to consider untouchable, and the reason is if we do not sign either Harper or Machado, and that would be Esteban Floria. I think this guy is going to be the center field of the future for the Yankees, and I just do not see them giving him up lots for a guy like DeGrom or Bum Garner. So one guy who I think will also be on the untouchable list. I think Judge Southfield should be on that list, but I don't think he is if they're going to get a pitcher back for it. I think the Yankees have finally embraced the fact that you just should not prospect hug or really rely on young pitchers in your minor league system. Like why? Why even bother relying on somebody who's a teenager or who's – early in their 20s, unless they're major league ready, like Jordan Montgomery was last year. And, and lo and behold, even you know, trying to rely on Jordan Montgomery on a guy that's on a, on a pitcher that's really young, why do that? Because if you rely on him, more likely than not, you're going to be let down and you're going to have to lose him for a year and a half to two years, much like the Yankees are going through with Jordan Montgomery right now. I agree and disagree. I agree and disagree with that. I think... It's always good to develop pitching. You always could always have pitchers, you know. It's always a leader. It's always good to – I mean, they're easier to develop, right? They're easier right. to develop the starters and leaders. And it's always good to have a plan B just in case those they falter, you know. But with, with Tommy John surgery being a very big thing nowadays, it's hard to, to get these prospects to come all the way up, you know. Surgery right. cool. Surgery's cool. And by the time that they do get up, because right. what they – because what they do – Justice Sheffield, every time, well, I mean, not even just Justice Sheffield, every starter in the minor leagues, they don't go more than six innings. Fair. Because they coddle them. They coddle these guys. Well, I don't know what, I don't really know, I don't really know what their pitch count is. But then by the time that they get to the majors, if they're at 60, 70 pitches by the time six innings comes around, then they're expected to go further. Well, I, I think the pitch counts, I think they've been mainly consistent with what they have in, ba- in Major League Baseball, from what I remember. I think I've seen Sheffield go 90 pitches, I think. I think I've seen him go 100, but I think I've seen him go 90-something pitches. All right. But like I said, there's a lot of pitching out there, a lot of pitching, a lot of pitching developed, all right? I think you had to you had to start somewhere, Justin. You got to start from the bottom. Right? Look at Luis Severino, okay? This guy... Was supposed to be an ace, faltered, right? Faltered, went to the bullpen, went to see Pedro, and now he's resurrected himself to become probably the premier pitcher in baseball right now. And so, he's, and he's unfortunately one bad pitch and one bad movement away, and just like all these pitchers are, right? Who specifically who haven't gone through Tommy John surgery, but even pitchers that do go through Tommy John, they got to do it. I've heard you know you hear disaster stories of how pitchers have to do it again. And that's that's I can't even I can't even imagine that I can't even imagine going through that once, let alone twice. But you know all these these young pitchers that are one bad move, they're one bad pitch away from 
a year and a half, two years of their baseball career being knocked off. And guess what? If there's a guy at the deadline that I really want, and there's a team calling me saying, hey, I want some of your young arms, take them. Take them. If it's going to help me now, take, take the young arms. I'll find some other ones. See, like you know me, you know I love my prospects, right? You know I love my. Prospects. I know you love your prospects. That's why you're you're the you're the prospect hugger expert. Yes, and when we had though though that three headed monster back in 2014 with Chapman Miller and uh, Betances, right? 2014, I believe. 2015. Yes. I'm one of the prospects. I'm like, we're not going anywhere. Might as well just be stuck in Faustos and try to freaking nail the dynasty again. And look and behold, we've been to ALCS. Now, hopefully, we're going to go back there this year, get a World Series, and start another dynasty, hopefully. And with these teams, it's going to keep – it's a process, it's a, um, it's a process, you know? It's a cycle. Just keep going in and out. And I think for the Yankee perspective this year, I'm going to agree with you, and you have to get up your prospects this year. This is the team that could go all the way if you make this right trade. Like Houston, the last year of getting their land. Right. And actually, with even the Dodgers getting you Darvish as well. That got to the World Series as well. Yeah, that worked out great for him. Right. All right. So this next question really relates to the last question we were talking about, specific with who stays, who goes, whatnot. So my friend Nick went to high school with them, bowled with them. Good guy. Thanks for asking the question, Nick. What do you think the Yankees are going to do? With Brandon Drury. I think this is the easiest answer I can give you for this one. I think he's going to be on the 25 man roster that comes September and October, guaranteed. He will be in the postseason. They will not trade Brandon Drury unless, this is unless, unless they really believe that he's a valuable part to a trade deal. I just don't think he has a value to be included in these deals. I, I just I don't see it. Be in the minor leagues this whole time, they're gonna help you trade value. <laughs> so yeah, I I mean, to me, if I'm the Yankees, he's already in the, he's already in the bench. He, he he's already a bench worthy player for me, no question about it. We got three guys on the bench right now, making fourth, make Brandon Jury play on the team. He can play the outfield, the infield, play everywhere practically, and I think he'll help out with uh with the platooning situations. You know, first base, third base, second base, even. Bill Gable day off, and to to me to have Sheree on the roster, and still have doing the minor leagues is just mind blowing to me. Absolutely mind boggling to me. Yeah, yeah, but you know, and I and I agree. I, I kind of a bit naive on my part, you know, of, of thinking that this whole fifty thousand game hitting streak Brandon Drury has got going on in the minors right now is going to help us trade value. Um, I've, I've come, I've come to believe from expert analysis and expert opinions that, Oh, nope, that really doesn't do anything. That doesn't do Jack. Um, but really it's, it's, this is, this is such a good problem to have. And really I are the, are the Yankees really the only team in major league baseball that have this problem? I really think that they are (laughs) the fact that they have a guy that has a 40 game hitting streak. Who's not. Who's not a? He was clearly not a minor leaguer. He finally came out this week and he said it. And I was actually wondering, like, what's Brandon Drury's mindset? Like this, like I think every single Yankee fan was wondering what his mindset was because at one point it was Brian Cashman saying, "Yeah, 
Brandon Drury's kind of totally healthy. He's fine. And then Brandon Drury came out and said literally like that same week, like, no, my eyesight's still a little poor. So then I'm like, okay, so Brandon Drury still needs to stay in the minors. And then he finally came out this week and he said, yeah, I, I don't belong here. And we're like, yeah, you're right. You don't belong here because you're a major league baseball player. Do the Yankees want him getting every day at bats no matter what and keeping him down in the minors? Or are they willing to sacrifice him getting, you know, one game, two games a week and being on the bench unless there's some kind of injury, which you never, you never hope for, you never root for. But if something were to happen, obviously this question of what do the Yankees do with Brandon Drury is solved right away. If something ever happens to Glibber, if something ever happens to Didi, if something ever happens to Miguel Andujar, you know, you can flip a few positions around in that infield and voila, Brandon Drury's got a spot on the infield. But obviously you never hope for an injury, but that's, I, I think that's, it, what do the Yankees? What do the Yankees do with Brandon Drury? In my opinion, he honestly, there's there's nowhere for him to go, and unless there is an injury, then he's staying exactly where he is. This whole situation is mind blowing to me because I thought this guy was not healthy, and now apparently he is healthy, and now we just don't want to big him up because Anhar's in third base. Like, come on! No, like, it's not. It's not that we don't want to bring him up because Anhar's in third. That's the reason why I really do. I, well, I no, Andujar, Andujar has earned the starting spot. No, no question, but does he does Drury want to start with? Day? Is that why he's pissed about? No, I honestly think I that, I, at this point it doesn't matter what Brandon Drury wants. Like, let's just uh, like uh, it doesn't matter what he wants. It's the fact that I honestly think that the Yankees would rather get Brandon Drury, who is young in his prime. And is kind of like still developing. Like I, you know, com him coming into spring training, this was a guy who wasn't necessarily like, okay, this is going to be the best time in his career. He's still developing. He is not a minor leaguer. Uh, that is not what I'm saying. But they would rather him get get at bats every single day than send somebody like Ronald Torres down to AAA, where he's getting at bats every single day. Ronald Torres is a guy that plays once every five days, twice every twice every seven days they don't want to dfa neil walker and i can't even think who, who who's our other bench guy besides romine that's it right we have yeah. three we have three right now right because then we have because then we have four outfielders with the with with stanton and gardner and hicks and yeah, jesus free throws will be the dfa shortly hopefully you got to have that extra arm in the bullpen now i i i i don't know i to me I'm going to have four guys on the bench in the next bullpen. I would rather have the arms in the bullpen. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. As long as there's one more, I, I think you're good. And I think the Yankees would rather have the arms in the bullpen, too. And I think they've shown that for years now. I know. But I just, I don't know. I, I'm always, no. I don't know. I don't know. I feel bad for Brandon Drury. I do, too. I Brandon Drury is going to get called up before the before the postseason. I know. How how are you not going to call this man up? He's on what a 30, 30, uh, 36 hit game hitting streak, right? Some something nuts. Yeah, so, so, something nuts. He's going, and it's not just like one hit every game. This man's going three for four, four for five with homers and doubles and RBI, RBI. Like he's he's going to get called up sometime before August. Mark my words. And then when he does get called up, he will be on the bench for the 
uh, playoffs. All right. He ain't going anywhere. All right. So this next question is it's it's really a wild question, but it's it's a really good question. Our friend Dennis, congratulations, Dennis, on creating on uh, creating. Congratulations, Dennis, on your Eagle Scout project. Job well done, Dennis. Very proud of you, buddy. Yeah, Dennis, actually, this is something I didn't really know until the project was actually done. And Boker and myself, we helped out Dennis. He's a good friend of ours, um, wanted to help him complete his project. And what he did is he, it's like a, basically it's a community garden for people who are on assisted living. They have an opportunity to go and they have an opportunity to grow food in this kind of like community garden. And it, you know, it basically, you know, it, it helps people out who need kind of necessary help. And I didn't find that out until we were basically done with the project. And I heard that that's absolutely fantastic. So good for you, Dennis, being a leader in your community. And he asks because Dennis is such a caring guy. He cares about people as you just heard. He also cares about Joe Girardi. Do you think it was fair of the Yankees slash the right move to replace Girardi after taking his team to the ALCS and in the midst of building the next Yankee dynasty? Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, I think it was the right time to get rid of Joe Girardi because of the reports that were coming out of the clubhouse right during the playoffs and right during the – especially the ALCS. I mean – from what the reports were telling me, it looks like the clubhouse lost them completely. And I think the Yankees realized, okay, we need a new face. We got all these young guys coming up. We need new faces in franchise that could build the relationship between the media, between the, the front office, between the players, and all the whole connection circle. You need that, that voice. I think they, they wanted Aaron Boone for that particular reason. To go to the media, to the clubhouse, to the front office. Have that whole thing. Connection. Because I don't think Jordy connected really well with the players last year as well as we would have liked to see. Right? I just I, – I didn't I didn't see Girardi being that type of vocal leader you want in the clubhouse. Um, no, because, again, Aaron Boone is still a rookie manager. I just mm. – Girardi was so good with the bullpen last year. He, he worked magic with the bullpen. Yes, I know he loved his binders, you know, formulas. And I always hated them for the freaking formulas using all the time. But still, still a good formula to use. The guy don't want us to bring nine years of service with the team. And it's like it's like letting go of Joe Toy. That was probably one of the hardest things as a Yankee fan to realize when we let him go back in 07. I was like, what? We let him go? But I think like like during that time, I think it was time for the Yankees to move on to a new face. And even though we got to the LCS last year, I just think it was the right time. And the Yankees management, I think, did the right move, bringing in Aaron Boone. I feel like this podcast is very forward-thinking. And baseball is moving towards a very different direction right now. Joe Girardi seemed to be a manager where he liked to actually manage. And Renato and Boker, I think you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Manager, I mean, it, they have always – they – Who's they, Justin? People have always said, and who's people? Experts have always said that really managers, what, they, you know, less than 10 games a year, if that. Managers actually have some sort of 
input, output, impact on a game. Managers write the damn lineup cards. They go out. They play the game. A lot of the time, if you're meant to win a game, you're going to win the game. If you're meant to lose the game, you're going to lose the game. Unlike um, what we just experienced this week, I would say we're a little bit more than 62 games in the year. I would really say that Aaron Boone has had maybe, if quote-unquote, if Aaron Boone is even making most of these decisions, I would really say that Aaron Boone has had two, maybe three, if that, and I think that's pushing it. But definitely this past week against the Nationals, whatever decision was made with the bullpen, that has really had an impact on the game. But rather than that, managers don't really have that much impact. So, in my opinion... Joe Girardi has always been a person that has kind of worn his frustrating emotions on his sleeve. You would see him in the dugout, hands would be on his face, and you can just see he was wearing the stress on his face. And uh, that's not 100%, good. 100%. Oh, yeah. He'd wear the stress on his face. And the Yankees didn't like that, especially in a, you know, and I'll admit, you know, in, in our kind of generation of, we want our coaches and we want our people that are our role models and that we look up to and our parents to kind of always be kind of like happy and we want everybody to always be happy and enthusiastic and supportive. Joe Girardi was not always that. He was frustrated. He was happy. Don't get me wrong. He had his moments, but he had his moments of visual disgust and the Yankees didn't like that. So for me, do I think it was fair for them to get rid of Joe Girardi? No, I don't think it was fair, but I do agree with you guys that it was time for a change. I think after after the divisional series last postseason, that's when I started questioning it. I was like, all right, I think it's time for a new uh, change of face running the Yankees. But like Renato said, Joe Girardi was very good with the bullpen, with his decision-making, with the bullpen, bringing who in, at what time, given the specific innings that they had. Yes, he was good with that. So Bleeding Blue has had their first technical difficulty. We're going to end the episode right there. The audio, for some reason, when I posted the clip onto YouTube and then I downloaded it as an MP4 file, cut off the last few minutes of the podcast. But we will answer everybody else's questions next week we had three people john james and emily asked some great questions two questions about the giants so i actually do want to have a giants episode this week maybe every other week maybe every two three weeks i want to have a giants episode up until training camp where we can have weekly uploads for the giants yankees went four and two this week Hoping for another good week of baseball. Up against the Nationals. A series against the Seattle Mariners. Hey, the Boston Red Sox are coming up soon. I'm pumped for that. So this was another long, long, long episode. We apologize for that. I apologize for that. We're going to work on our timing. We're going to work on getting our time down. Like us on SoundCloud. Create a SoundCloud account. Subscribe. Tell all your friends about this podcast. It was Father's Day. Tell your dad, do you like the Yankees? You like the Yankees. Listen to this podcast. Do you like the Giants? Well, listen to them talk about Yankees, and then they're going to talk about Giants in a few weeks or even next week.
Happy Father's Day, even though it's Monday. Sorry for the technical difficulties. We will see everybody next week. Go Yankees. 